0: Our communion meditation is from First uh, Samuel. So this is First Samuel chapter two, and I'll read verses uh, six through eight. The Lord kills and makes alive; he brings down to the grave and brings up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich; he brings low and lifts up. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the beggar from the ash heap to set them among princes and make them inherit the throne of glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Open our eyes, open our hearts, that we would see and understand and embrace your word and seek to fulfill it in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Our verse 7 says, The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and lifts up. When you read verses 6, 7, and 8, you read all these words. All these words are present here. I'll just read you the words themselves. Down, up, poor, rich, low, up, raises, poor, lifts, beggar. All those words are in like two and a half verses. And so all of these words... Reflect status and position on the earth We recognize that there is status there there is distinctions to be made between people and yet in this country We intentionally founded the country to eradicate that to a great degree though the colonies were largely British they did have a culture that was originally incorporated from Britain, and so many of the eastern cities in those colonies would practice the same cultural practices that were practiced in England, such as if a person of higher status comes down the sidewalk towards you, you of lower status, step aside. Give them room. This was practiced in this country in the colonies. Yet, as we grew further and further away from England, not just during the rebellion, the revolution, but prior to that, all of those distinctions began fading in significance, in importance, and some intentionally so. People refused to step aside for those of higher status. And really, this came to a head after the election in 1788. Early 1789, George Washington had been elected And the Congress wrestled for days, weeks even, on what to call him, how to address him. And so these were some of the ideas that were floated during those debates. Your Highness, Your Most Benign Highness, His Exalted Highness, His Elective Highness, Most Illustrious and Excellent President, His Majesty, the President. And then one senator in exasperation yelled out, why not just call him George IV? Because he was tired of all of these exalted titles. And one man said, he was neither a king nor an emperor and should simply be called George. John Adams, who I think did kind of like pomp and circumstance, suggested this, when the President was to be greeted. He was to be referred to by this, His Highness, the President of the United States and protector of the rights of the same. That's how the President would have been greeted had John Adams had his way. Now, what's interesting at this point is that someone in the Senate said, wait a minute, the Constitution speaks to this. It's called the Emoluments Clause, and it said, that the United States was to give no titles, no titles to anybody. Now, it would be arguable that it was to apply in greeting the president, but still, they took that, and over the course of the next couple days, they debated it, and they came up with what we now know, Mr. President. That's what they call the president now. All those long ostentatious distinctives are gone. They only say, Mr. President, and that's enough. In America, that was deemed enough. That's who he is. That's what his title is. That's what we'll call him. The next verse says, God raises the poor from the dust and lifts the beggar from the ash heap. The verse I read earlier, 7, says, the Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and lifts up. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the beggar from the ash heap. So, see, there are distinctives to be made, and God makes them. God is the one that changes our circumstances. Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, I just read through them in my annual Bible reading, and they speak a lot of honor, of wisdom, of folly, of dishonor. In a true meritocracy, and what I mean by that is that your merit gets you ahead, gets you the honor that you deserve, wisdom is rewarded and foolishness is punished. Now we do in this world live generally in a meritocracy. God has designed it so. And yet, it's God that carries that out. He's the one that's put all of this in place. He created wisdom, and we disobey it, we disregard it to our detriment. Wisdom tends towards honor. Foolishness tends toward dishonor. It's just the way God has made this world. It is God that links consequences to the causes. So all of us are where we are based on consequences that were rooted in causes. And this is how verse 8 goes on. It starts with, "'He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the beggar from the ash heap to set them among princes.'" and make them inherit the throne of glory." So all of what had gone on earlier is talking about dust and poverty and poor and down, and yet God then intervenes in the causes that lead to the consequences that bring us among the princes to inherit the throne of glory. So see, you can see that there's been a transition from thinking earthly thoughts and terms, all of this poverty and honor and wisdom and folly, to now the very final phrase of this thought says to set them among princes and make them inherit the throne of glory. So now we're in the heavenly realm. So see, left to our own devices on earth, left to our own depravity, Foolishness would prevail. It would lead to consequences of chaos, and despair would follow. And yet, God blesses us with what we call common grace, and you might think common an insufficient word, an inappropriate word, but really, though, you have to contrast it with the other word. What's the other word that's not common? special. So see, common grace is contrasted with special grace, and I believe we have both at work in our text. We have God's common grace, and listen to this definition by Louis Burkhoff. Common grace curbs the destructive power of sin, maintains a measure of the moral order of the universe, thus making an orderly life possible. That's what we refer to as common grace. It's just God keeping the world together with His laws that He honors. And to some extent, then, He must look past the many sins that we would otherwise want to be involved in, suppress the worst effects of those in the most evil of hearts, and then allow His grace to prevail on this earth. Special grace is that by which God redeems, sanctifies, and glorifies His people. And so, yes, compared to special grace, saving grace, we can refer to God's common grace by which He's suppressing the explosion of sin that would otherwise occur on the earth. So He does all of this in regulating all of this world and ultimately will bring each of His children to place us among the princes and princesses of heaven to sit at the throne of glory. He sets us among them and makes us, makes us inherit that throne. Otherwise, it would not happen. We would not benefit from that. It is God alone to whom we owe our position, our distinctions. The cause is ultimately God alone that then results in these consequences being vastly different for us versus the lost. And so we have to value that. We have to honor God for His gift to us. And so when we come to the table, we're coming to a meal that is special, that is spiritual, that is for His children. And this is, in part, a cause, the Word tells us. This is a cause leading to consequences of greater glory for each of us. We partake of God's grace when we come to this table. And so let's do so now in his name and for his glory father we thank you for life we thank you for health we thank you for the gift of your word the power of your spirit at work in us but also in our world we give you thanks father that you do not allow anything ever to be out of control that when we witness the depths of depravity that can occur it is not because you have abandoned your people it is not because you have abandoned this earth, and your creation. It's because you're allowing the fruit to be born that must come about because of horrible choices. We thank you, Father, for the fact that you have saved us, you have caused us to be changed, and we look forward to being with you in glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.